Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 524 Wild Card Predictions. Big Chillians, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Frank, joins us with Eddie. Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, pretty well. I mean, over the past few weeks, it's been me who's been sick and struggling with my voice, and and now it's your turn to make this yeah. audible experience slightly less pleasant for the listeners. <laughs> or maybe more pleasant. Maybe it tones down my voice. <laughs> no, I can tell you it's less pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Unless I can do something miraculous in the editing, uh, this is probably not going to be the uh, experience that they're used to. Well, don't know what to tell you. Everyone in America is sick. (laughs) I I don't think you can limit that just to America. I think, I mean, it's just the season, right? And there's been some pretty bad bugs going around. So mine, mine lasted a long time. That was a solid three weeks, I'd say. Awesome. 10, 10 to 12 days of which I was feeling really, really bad. But in total, like three weeks before I felt 100% again, which is a long time to be feeling kind of under under the weather. Yeah, I hope that's not me. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't do well with being sick. I get I get really frustrated really quickly. Oh, we'll see how you do then. Maybe, maybe this weekend's slate of NFL playoff games will be just the medicine that you need to, to pick you up. Maybe. Although, not a fan of the Saturday games. I, I love the Saturday games. Really? Yeah. I mean, well, you, you couldn't have them. I don't want multiple playoff games. I don't want simultaneous playoff games. No, I don't either. But I feel like the better games are the Sunday and Mondays. Well, the Mondays are a relatively new development, right? But the... Yeah. I mean, typically the Saturday game is the, well, the Saturday games are the less attractive ones. Like historically, it's when we've seen the likes of the the Texans and, you know, a host of other teams kind of make their appearance. But then there have been some iconic Saturday games as well. So It's just where the AFC South is slated, always on a Saturday because no one wants to watch them. Pretty much, yeah. But no, I, I don't know. I think this time around... I'd argue that the Saturday games are more interesting than the Sunday games. Well, I guess, yeah, you know, I mean, the issue is, right, that you have a Dolphins team without Tua and you have a Ravens team without Lamar. So that's what makes them uninteresting. Yeah, but they they kind of, they knew at least one of those things when they scheduled these games. Like this isn't, and they probably were fairly confident about the Tua element as well when this got scheduled. So it's not like that's some sudden development that was, they thought they were going to have these blockbuster games on a Sunday. I mean, it's difficult to make a good argument for why. I mean, the only thing that Sunday has going for it is it has three. Like that's the only reason <laughs> why this is marginally better. And and the Vikings Giants game, you know, there's three games that are maybe close in terms of difficult being difficult to call, I'd say there's probably really only two. And one of them's on a Saturday and one of them's on a Sunday. Oh, wait. Oh, spoiler alert. 
I would have said one's on a Sunday and one's on a Monday. uh, I mean, (laughs) shall we just get into the games? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I don't, I'm not going to let you say it's not difficult to call the the Chargers Jags game. You can be confident in your Chargers pick, but I'm not going to say that you can just be like, oh no, this is, this is a gimme. Cakewalk. Okay. I mean, let's before we maybe get into that, maybe, you know, you've, we've had weeks of you trying to make me apologize for bad takes and we don't have to talk about the college college football to any great extent. But uh, TCU were embarrassed on Monday night against the uh, against Should Georgia. never been in that final four. <laughs> they lost by what, 56 points, 57 points? Something like that. Which I uh, and we we can have another episode in the future where we maybe talk about the college football system in more detail. I think if you have the final of your league system in whatever sort of format that looks like, and a team loses by the equivalent of fifty-seven points, you have to rethink how you, your configuration. Like if the Super Bowl was won by fifty-seven points, I would be start to ask myself. How are we determining who makes the Super Bowl? Yeah, but I think the issue is is it's not what it used to be with just the national championship game. It's a playoff, and they beat the number two team in the country who's an undefeated Big Ten team. So how how can you say that they don't deserve to be in it when they beat the number two team who was undefeated in the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, who also was a very good team, who gave Georgia a run. So all indications would say that they are a legitimate team. I mean, not all indications. So, because I think we can we can kind of go in circles a little bit on this discussion, but the reality is, and I'll stick to it, and I feel like I was somewhat vindicated uh, in terms of what ended up happening in that game. We just know deep down who the best four, five, six teams are. And... At a certain moment in time, they either, and again, like we said last episode, the expansion of the playoffs will kind of solve this problem organically anyway, because every team you can make a legitimate case for should be in that expanded playoffs at that moment in time. But it's, you either have this, either this committee, the committee has to know what it's doing. Is it picking the best four teams or the teams that deserve it? Deserve means nothing to me if you've got a committee. If you if it's deserve, then figure out a way that you can prove it, where it's not some random person making a subjective decision. That's never deserving. But if you want to have deserving, there's ways to do deserving. If you don't want to have deserving and you have a committee determining the best teams, then you have to have that committee make logical, sound decisions. Like it's like asking me if you had a committee right now deciding who are the four best teams in the Premier League. Newcastle aren't in it. Like, I don't care what you tell me about how good their season's been for the opening 17 matches. If I have to pin my reputation as pick the best four teams in the Premier League, I'm not picking Newcastle. It would upset some Newcastle supporters, but if that's my role is to pick the four best teams, then... But then why play the games? (laughs) No, I mean, my question is why have a system where some random people make the decision as to who the best teams are. There are ways to fix it so that you play the games and that, that I mean, they're not, they're not random people. 
I mean, they are Condoleezza Rice. Come, come on, Condoleezza, Condoleezza Rice. Rice has not been in it for five years. <laughs> but, but the point is, we don't. Can you name anyone else on the committee? Yeah, I think it's like the president of the Big Ten, the president of like the right, SEC. My point is, I bet you if we looked through the exact committee right now, there would be names that would be the equivalent of Condoleezza Rice, as in people who say they're passionate about football, maybe have some knowledge in analytics or whatever it is, but they wouldn't exactly be people where you said you made your name in football. I don't even know if the president of a conference is necessarily, I don't know who, who becomes the president of a conference. It's probably just based on your popularity within some boosters and whether or not you've got a job at a big enough school. Like, I don't even know if that person is necessarily qualified to be assessing the qualities of teams, but there's ways to fix it. So you don't have to rely on a committee, but they won't do that because, and the only solid argument for why you don't do it is because it's not the way we've ever done it. Like, well, this is how we've always, this is how college football's always worked. And that's to me, never a compelling argument. I mean, I, I think I slightly don't understand, though, then what would have been different to you? Is Alabama, that's the difference? Alabama's in there? I mean, I wouldn't have put TCU in the Final Four. So I wouldn't have had TCU in, like, my top But you put, what, six. Ohio State, who played Georgia and lost? Yeah. But you put Michigan in, who lost to TCU. So I, I, I don't I, – so it's literally just Alabama. Your argument is – Alabama should be in it every year. That's the argument you're trying to make. It's not that Alabama should be in it every year. It's in the current configuration of and kind of qualities throughout college football. Then, yeah, I'd put Alabama in every year until they have a drop off. <laughs> so it's not that you would put Alabama in every year. It's that you'd put Alabama in every year. I'm not saying I'd put Alabama in in 2045. I'm saying that well, what's I the drop off? Multiple two loss seasons? Sure. Or three loss seasons. Okay. Yeah, sure. Then they're out now. No, I mean, but it depends who you lose to as well, right? And so it's just, I would need to see, uh, again, your argument for why the system works is kind of that is what the system is. And to me, that's I mean, my argument is, is I, I think if you even expanded it to six teams, I think you have a pretty good consensus as to who the six best are. And I think like what you do in the games matters just because your roster is super talented. If you don't play well together as a team, then I don't think you deserve to make it. And Alabama's roster is immensely talented. I mean, half of that team will probably be in the NFL, but when they don't play well together and they lose games, then they shouldn't be in the, the championship. I just think if you're starting to get into a situation where you're having to like objectively, well, subjectively judge but with the goal of being objective the quality of teams the idea of i'm only going to base it on win-loss records it's kind of simplistic because i have to look at it and just decide you know there are games that can be determined by a couple of weird plays that happen that suddenly change the the entire outcome or you know and i can kind of you can watch one game and say okay they lost by 10 but they weren't that far away from winning versus another team that loses, you know, wins a game by three, but you think, well, that was kind of a lucky victory, but they're going to get to chalk that up as a win. So we're not going to, we're not going to analyze that win too much. I, I just don't know. The system is broken to me. I don't know how anyone can look at it and think it's in any way satisfying. Like, I don't know who enjoys it. The only people I think who enjoy it in a sense are either the people who get stuck on the committee and sports media, because it gives you a kind of, 
48 hour news cycle after the rankings come out or in the build up to the kind of towards the end of the season that you get to discuss the rankings in a way that you wouldn't if there was a clearer system. Like we don't sit here right now saying, should Arsenal be top of the league? Now you can argue, are they going to win the league? That's a different thing, but we're not like, should they be top? Should they be? Why did we put them top? How do we deter, like, is a draw against Newcastle better than a draw against Everton? Like, we don't have to do all that nonsense. But you kind of get to perpetuate that in the U.S. with the college football system. And it it benefits all the people who pump money into the game, for sure. I just don't think it benefits the players, the coaches, the fans themselves, apart from the endless discussion. Should the Bucks be in the playoffs? Uh, if there was an objective, like if you were a committee and you were determining whether or not, no, I wouldn't put them in the playoffs. But uh, we played the games, right? And they win it. <laughs> Maybe. And that doesn't, to me, that doesn't determine, like that doesn't justify the inclusion. Because on a random game, weird results can happen. Like the best team can beat the worst team. So, for example, TCU's inclusion in the playoffs to me is not justified by them beating Michigan. Because but it is justified by them getting blown out to Georgia. I think the nature in which they lost 100%, yes. Because that wasn't, what a weird game. That was a, oh my God, this one team is just clearly so much better than the other team. Whereas, for example, the Michigan-TCU game, it was, wow, Michigan are playing probably for the first time this season below average. And they've made some dumb mistakes in their play calling. And TCU is playing really well. And that was a combination of those three factors allowed TCU to barely beat Michigan. Whereas then they get into another game and it's like, okay, now Georgia has turned up and wow, they're just infinitely better than TCU. Like it would be hard to have been a TCU player, walk off that field and, and I think feel as if you even deserve to be on the same field as the players you played against. Like to, to, for the, for you to get there and be like, wait, we were playing the same sport at the same level. That's crazy. Like that's the equivalent to me of like watching an FA Cup tie and watching like a Shrewsbury Town player walk off after they've lost six one to Man City, and that Shrewsbury Town player walks off and go, wow, that's the difference between us and them. They are on. That's why they get paid the big bucks, and we're down here. And that's what all those TCU players should have felt like on Monday night. But anyway, from there we can switch to a sport that doesn't have. It's playoffs determined by a random group of people figuring out who they think the best teams are and instead has an imperfect division-based system that puts some teams in. Uh, But yeah, are we going to go in chronological order as I often prefer or the Frank We can go in chronological. Okay. So the opening game will be the Saturday 4.30 Eastern kickoff. And that is the number two 49ers versus the number seven Seattle Seahawks. Now, last time we talked, I said this game could be close. That was just some clickbait. I don't think this game's going to be close. <laughs> they played twice already. The combined score is 48 to 20. Uh, and one was with a Trey Lance injury and then a Jimmy G coming in and things like that. Um, Seattle does not have a very good defense and they struggle in particular against uh, like check down to intermediate level throws, which is kind of what Brock Purdy has been born to do apparently. So I mean, just 
giving it to the running backs, giving it to the tight ends all day. Kittle, McCaffrey. I, I don't think know you're if kind Debo's of doing still him. on the team, but Debo played all right in the last. I think you're doing him a disservice. Then I actually think since Brock Purdy came into the team, they've established more of a deep, like yeah, play game. no, they they do throw it deep, but I think they rely on the short, the running and the short throws to open up the deep throws. Sure, but I mean you're just you're just describing good football right now. <laughs> I mean you're just. I'm sorry that the Niners don't just run like consecutive hail marys until one one gets caught. When it's not Kirk Cousins out there just you know kind of throwing and and kind of wishing upon a prayer for the for a touchdown to Justin Jefferson every time. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think there's. It's difficult to see why this game would be any different to the what we saw in the regular season. Uh, the Niners lead the league in, in turnover differential. It's a, a very intimidating defense. Uh, they have had 13 more uh, takeaways than giveaways. And that obviously just makes it a lot easier for their offense because you get an advantage in terms of field position. They lead the league in average starting field position. So they're on a start on the 30.9 yard line on average, which is the best in the NFL. Whereas the Seahawks, have the worst average starting position in the NFL with an average of 25.6. It's not exactly a huge difference there, but I mean, I guess over the course of a season, a five-yard yeah. a five yard average is, is pretty big because when you factor in that most of your drives are probably going to start on your own 25 just from kickoffs and punts and all sorts of other things, to uh, factor in enough to kind of shift the average by over five yards is, is pretty significant. But yeah, it's difficult to see why unless Brock Purdy is just suddenly in the situation where the lights are too bright for him, which I guess is always the risk with a rookie quarterback going into the playoffs. Then again, you might be able to say the same thing about Geno Smith, not a rookie, but biggest game of his career. So, you know, you have two quarterbacks coming off good seasons, probably su- surprisingly good seasons who might find it, uh, you know, might be a little bit more nervous than usual. But yeah, I think the Niners are just all around, the better team. Yeah. And I mean, Geno Smith, who's had a great year, uh, you know, really progressed this year, but he turned the ball over four times his first half of the season, first eight games, and he's turned it over 11 in the second half, the last nine games. So he is turning the ball over more. And like you said, Niners have a good defense. Uh, The spread is, I forgot to mention spread. uh, When I wrote it down was minus nine and a half and the over under was 42 and a half. So I think the I think the Niners will cover the spread here. Uh yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of spreads and nine and a half is big in a playoff game. Like, you know, you can be dominating and one weird play in the fourth quarter can change everything. But yes, if I had to pick, I would say I would say they cover. And uh Dan Orlovsky must be a fan of our podcast because he put an article out today ranking the fourteen QBs in the <laughs> in the playoffs. And he ranks Geno Smith 10 and ranks Brock Purdy number 13. Who did he have last? Skylar Thompson. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit of an insult to Brock Purdy, I think. I can get it. He's a rookie and there's not a huge body of work there in the NFL. But I think that's a little bit of a a slap in the face for a player who hasn't lost a game yet. (laughs) All right, should we move on to the next game, the game that you think will be a quote-unquote cakewalk 
for the San Diego, oh, San Diego Chargers, the LA Chargers. Definitely won't be a cakewalk for the San Diego Chargers. <laughs> yeah, so the Saturday night game, 8-15 Eastern kickoff, is the Jacksonville Jaguars, number four seed, versus the Los Angeles Chargers, the five seed. And the, I was going to say the, I was going to say the Clippers, because every time I see LAC, I think Clippers. The Chargers are a two-point favorite. Yeah, which I think is, they deserve to be favorites, but uh, each of these teams has been, I mean, I guess the Jags have been pretty consistent since their bad start to the season, but both of these teams feel fairly inconsistent, and it feels like within the same game, you can see different versions of them. I guess both of their defenses have been good throughout, but their offenses can can blow a little hot and cold. They stall at weird moments in time, particularly the, the Jags. They part of that is led by the fact that the the Jags lead the league and drop passes with forty one, and the Chargers are second with forty. So these are these are two teams that will maybe get in their own way when it comes to putting together consistent long drives. Um, I think the the kind of mounting injuries for the Chargers, which is the story of all of their seasons, worries me slightly. But I think just with a little bit more experience and maybe just that little bit more maturity, especially in offense, I think I'll I'll give the edge to the Chargers. So I'll take the Chargers to win into cover. Yeah, so, I mean, the injuries have always been a problem for the Chargers, but you have uh, Rashawn Slater, who's out. I mean, that's their their starting tackle. But you do have Joey Bosa's coming back. And Mike Williams, who left the game – on week 18, which was a completely unnecessary time for him to be playing. That injury is not serious, so he's going to play as well. So they have most of their players back, which is very encouraging. I think Herbert is a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence. I do think the defenses are pretty evenly matched. I think the Jags actually are a slightly better defense. But I think offense-wise, I have a lot more trust in Herbert to – be the better quarterback, and if necessary, mount the comeback. Whereas what we saw in week 18 when the Jags needed to win, Lawrence was okay. He didn't make terrible mistakes. I think he had only one turnover. But at the same time, he didn't hit the throws that would have easily won them the game. You know, he missed a few big throws. So I, you know, I think Herbert is going to be better in that, in that sense. And I'll take the Chargers to win here and cover. Yeah, I mean your 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 reputation really your whole playoff reputation is is going to be determined in, you know, first day of wildcard weekend. If this is a flame out for Justin Herbert, serious, you know, serious question marks are going to surround him and you. And I mean you are going to be I don't know the messages you're going to send him if it's a Saturday night disappointment for you. That's going to be might be some drunk text that Justin Herbert does not want to receive. Yeah, I oh, I hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> I think everyone involved hopes it doesn't come to that. <laughs> Up next, yeah, is, Sunday. I, yeah, things things on Sunday kick off with a real, you know, just such a super exciting match. Something that on paper a few weeks ago would have looked really interesting. Obviously, oh, yeah. had at one moment in time this was a tight divisional race between these two teams, and then things fell apart for the Dolphins and the Bills just kept chugging along and you have the dolphins at the bills and the 
Bills are 13-point favorites now that Tua has been confirmed that he will be out. In a sense, I don't think there's too much to discuss about this game. It's clear that the Bills, I guess you've also got some question marks over how over Tyreek Hill, who had an ankle injury last Sunday, he should play, but how involved he will be, or if for a player who relies so much on his sort of speed and explosiveness, if that ankle injury will affect him. I think it's it's impossible to see a reason as to why the Dolphins will win this. Yeah, maybe there's hope. Teddy Bridgewater plays, but even then, uh, he wasn't that great when when he's been subbing for Tua. It's definitely an upgrade from from uh, Thompson, but still, you're nowhere near Tua and, and what I think you'll need to give the Bills a good game. And it, you're right; it is really it is sad that you're not going to get a good game because you know this is a team or teams that split the series one one in the regular season, and it would be nice to see you know a good matchup here, but. I don't I don't see it. I mean, you might even see Josh Allen out of the game in the fourth quarter <laughs> resting. <laughs> you might see Josh Allen out of the game in the second quarter resting. <laughs> this could be this could get ugly fast. You might um, see Josh Allen pulling the uh Georgia defensive lineman and eating chicken wings on the sideline in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Uh but yeah, this is or yeah, this is uh it's a shame and it's it's particularly a shame when it's like kicking off the day that first game you don't have any really excitement kind of an anticlimactic start to to the sunday slate of games uh, but yeah it's uh looks like it should be pretty comfortable for the bills a 13 point spread similar to the niners that's a lot of points you know it doesn't you can win by 12 and absolutely have dominated the game and you're not covering the spread i guess i'll take the bills to cover but it's it's a lot of points i mean you figure the bills score let's say 27 that means the Dolphins have to score 14. I don't think they can score double digits. <laughs> you don't think they can get two touchdowns? I don't know. They have not looked good with Thompson at quarterback. But, the, I mean, here's the thing too, right? The Bills didn't look that good against the Patriots. They kind of get bailed off, bailed, bailed off, bailed out by the the two the two kickoff return Sam touchdowns. Sam gets bailed off all the time since he left the podcast. <laughs> yeah, nightly. But, yeah, the two kickoff return touchdowns, but... You know, they didn't look that great and that convincing, uh, I think. But yeah, I think it's you'd be a bold person to be taking the the Dolphins in this in, in any way, shape, or form. I guess unless you teased it to 20 points or something, and at which point then it starts to become just a huge number. But even then, I wouldn't feel... Like, at what point would you feel comfortable with Dolphins plus 20? Like, what does the score have to be going into the fourth quarter for you to really think I've got this one locked up. I'd almost say I'd need the Dolphins to be winning because even if they're losing, <laughs> if they're losing by 10, it's like, ah, oh, gosh. Yeah. Two scores. One touchdown done and a pick six and you're done. Yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a shame. I guess the larger discussion about this is really the long-term future of Tua and what this means. You know, when is it we'll see Tua play a game of football again? Because... You know, if he's sitting this out and the weird scenario, kind of situation of post Christmas for him to on that Christmas Day game to come off and have been showing symptoms of a concussion, even though during the game they didn't identify the fact that he'd had one. And now we're what this game will be almost a month later 
and he still can't play, like that's that's a real issue there. That's a cause for concern in the long term, not just whether or not he'd be involved in this playoffs, even if the Dolphins were to win this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'll see him in the playoffs, even if the Dolphins win. But No, no, my, my question is a larger one. Like, will we see him this year? By that, I mean calendar year. Yeah, I, th- I think he'll be back by next year. You think so? Yeah. If you were the Dolphins, would you be considering making a switch at quarterback? No, not yet. Tom Brady says, you know how I wanted to come to Miami? I still want to come to Miami. Do you tell yourselves, let's put Tua can have a sabbatical. See if he can sabbatical. <laughs> see if he can fix his, you know, like have the timeout he needs in a Sidney Crosby style to maybe prolong his career. And we can have Tom Brady for a season. We've got a really good team. We can kind of give everything Tom Brady needs probably to succeed. Does that work for us? I don't think they would do that. I mean, all indications are pointing towards Tom Brady being in Las Vegas next season. So I agree with you. I think it probably. I don't know why he would do that. I, 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 I see the same things, but I don't understand why he would go to Vegas. That, that it's a shit show. That team is a disaster. I think the biggest argument for not going to Las Vegas is how tough that division is. Like you, you have it's to a be tough really division, and all he's got is Devonte Adams. Well, they got more than that. He's got a great tight end there, which for Tom Brady, that's a huge, like Tom Brady needs to pick wherever he's going based on, do they have a good tight end or not? That has to be the first offensive line and a tight end. He doesn't even need really wide receivers. You know, like he doesn't need Devontae Adams. He needs other things to succeed, but I don't know. I wouldn't go there because of the division, because you can be, you could have a really good season and still not make the playoffs because you could lose both games to the Chiefs lose a game to the Chargers, you know, end up going, you could have a 10-win season and not make the playoffs if things didn't go your way. Definitely wouldn't go to the Texans. No, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that will be happening. But yeah, all right, next up. For the first time since we started this podcast, you will have an actual rooting interest in a playoff game that goes beyond your crushes, goes beyond your bets. <laughs> goes beyond all of that and actually something in your blood and that is with the new york giants at the minnesota vikings with the vikings three-point favorites so take it away yeah two teams with uh negative point differentials (laughs) playing each other uh the last time eddie that a team has advanced to the super bowl with a negative point differential the 2011 new york giants so maybe there's some history uh, in store for us again. I'm not I, – I mean, we've all year with the Vikings discussed how inconsistent they are and how you can never trust them from game to game. The Giants are slightly the same way, but they're a little more consistent in the sense that you're going to get a defense that will try and limit the amount of points. They'll leak yards like crazy but they'll try and limit your your red zones to field goals and get opportunistic turnovers uh, and just limit the amount of points no matter how many yards you get. And I think I think their offense is actually a little more consistent than the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings' offense is just all over the place. It just runs through Justin Jefferson. 
And the, I guess the concern is when they played three weeks ago now, Justin Jefferson went off on the Giants. And I don't think that's going to change because it's not as if they're switching up anyone in the secondary. Um, but I'll go with the Giants because I kind of have to. Um, Daniel Jones has been playing great. So I think the the stat is in the last four weeks of the season, he has the best QBR in the NFL, better than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and couple that with Kirk Cousins, who hasn't looked very good in the past few weeks. Um, I, I'll, I'll go with the Giants. This will be close. It was close when they played in the regular season. Took a 61-yard field goal for the Vikings to beat them. Uh, and, yeah, we'll see. No, yeah, this is a close one. On paper, I would say this is this is the one, well, I guess the Chargers-Jags. I feel like you can almost make the strongest arguments for either team winning in this one. But you, you talked about the Vikings' offense being more con- consistent. In part, that was down to the fact that they led the league in terms of penalty yard differential. So a negative point differential, but came out extremely well when it came down to penalty yards. So they committed 88 penalties for 689 yards. Their opponents committed 111 penalties for 926 yards. So a a 237-yard differential over the course of the season, which is pretty substantial. That's, you know, that's saying they're kind of getting an additional 20-ish yards per game almost, well, 15, 16 yards per game, which is, you know, nice per drive, you know, over the course of a drive. That's almost giving you like field goal range once a game thanks to uh, penalties. But you can give some of that down to the fact, obviously, of the likes of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and the the threat that they pose out wide. But they also had bizarrely benefited from uh, six times where the opponent had an an ineligible downfield receiver, which is not something (laughs) that usually to have that occur six times against you over the course of 17 seasons seems just, I mean, certainly improbable, if not impossible. I will give the edge here to the Vikings because I do think that they are the better team. And so we've discussed it as long as this podcast has been going, the inconsistencies of Kirk Cousins. I guess you'll have concerns here over Kirk Cousins in a big game situation, which is not usually where he has thrived historically. But I just think if the best versions of these two teams show up, the Vikings win and without any playoff history to show for either of these teams in their current iterations, I will give the edge to the team that I think is better. So I'll take the Vikings to win and the Vikings to cover. Yeah. It's crazy too. When you look at the advanced metrics like DVOA, which will rank teams based off of the, like comparing to the averages in the NFL, the Vikings are the sixth worst team ranked in DVOA. I mean, that's how hit or miss they are as a team. You know, when you put their season together, they're, they're below te- you know, they're right at levels like the Broncos and the Rams. That's, that's awful. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Giants haven't been playing well recently either. So, I mean, it's tough to be confident in the Giants. They're two, five and one, you know, and, and it's, that's the commanders, a win and a tie and the Colts. That's who they've beaten in the past eight games not not encouraging yeah and you had that slight knock on on the Niners and uh Brock Purdy for you know their their way they're chipping their way down the field through running backs and you know tight end passes but the the Giants relied more on short passing than than anyone else in the league Daniel Jones 
had an average, according to Pro Football Reference, had an average depth of target of just 6.4 yards, oh. which was tied for 31st among starting quarterbacks. Eddie, um, don't get my dad started on this. Yeah. Never throw the ball deep. They never do. <laughs> yeah, well, in, in comparison, Kirk Cousins averaged 7.5, so one 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 1.1 yards further on average. And uh, the Giants only had 28 passing plays of 20 or more yards over the course of the season. So you oh. do, that does mean if you feel going up against them in terms of how you plan with your secondary, I don't think you have to be too worried about a deep threat unless unless this yeah. is just like Bill, Bill Belichick level planning and they have just been waiting to unleash the air raid game in the playoffs. I mean, how can you be worried about their deep threat? We, we've, we've discussed this before, but I, I mean, literally their second to fifth wide receivers weren't even in the NFL at the start of this year. That's how bad it is. How well, do you Kenny think? Gall- oh, well, Kenny, Kenny Galladay, Galladay is technically back, but he hasn't yeah. been playing very much. He had his first touchdown, didn't he? And yeah, when they yeah. sat players. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he's 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 warming up just in time. Yeah, one of the catches of the year. How do you think Orlovsky ranks Daniel Jones and Kirk Cousins out of the fourteen? Um, I'll say he put. So he had, he had, Geno Smith put, ten and Purdy thirteen is what we have. I'll put Daniel Jones eleven, and I'll put Kirk Cousins nine. Ooh, Daniel Jones eight, Kirk Cousins eleven. Okay, he's got more faith than Daniel Jones. Yeah, I mean, this is a big moment for Daniel Jones because obviously, you know, he spent the early part of his career people thinking he was kind of a joke. Most people saying that the Giants made a huge mistake. I know you'll say even if he's good, they made a mistake because they could have gone later and, you know, that whole the kind of draft strategy thing that they messed up, which, you know, who knows how that would have worked out if they'd tried to do that more intelligently. Better. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows who the other player, they may have ended up with a complete dud as the other player and so it's neither here nor there, you know? But like the still they, you know, very few players over the course of their rookie kind of contracts probably have this much of a transformation almost from being someone I think that most Giants fans would have wanted to have nothing to do with to now probably accepting the fact that he's the quarterback for the foreseeable future. I don't I don't think there's likely to be a quarterback change with the Giants unless something strange happened either to Daniel Jones or suddenly a trade or a free agent became available who they didn't think was possible. Yeah. I think he's definitely solidified. He's going to be the quarterback next year. I think this is bottom a year. I still think though, a lot depends on his progression next year. And we, we, I mean, I, I talked about it when we did our preview, you know, with Dabble coming in, coming from Buffalo, there was a little bit of this Josh Allen feel to Daniel Jones where they're similar in the fact that they're they're big, sturdy quarterbacks that but can run very well. They're both pretty fast and they have really good arms. But the issue is Daniel Jones had no one to kind of help him and and progress him. So now maybe that dabbles there. This is a I'm not gonna say it's anywhere near the progression of Josh Allen, but maybe you're starting to get a progression like Josh Allen had and how he got better year after year. And maybe 
in two, three years, you know, he's, he is up to that top seven quarterback level, which would be, I think that'd be great. That'd be more than I would have expected. Yeah. He's definitely top half at which point it becomes difficult to replace him. Right. Because most of the quarterbacks you'd consider to be definitely better than him are not going to be available. So you then get put in a situation of, do you roll the dice on a rookie quarterback in the future, which is difficult, but like it's, I guess coming into the season, you would have thought if you'd kind of gone back 12 months and then said, we're going to be in a situation this summer where someone like Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to be a free agent. You would have thought the Giants were a potential landing spot for him. Whereas now you can't see any reason as to why yeah. the Giants would be interested in someone like that. No, not, not him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So up next, things get a little bit more straightforward, probably, again. You got the the Ravens at the Bengals, and the Bengals are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Once again, I think difficult to make a strong argument as to why you think the Ravens would win this. They think even with Lamar Jackson, the Bengals would still be the better team here. But playing against an inexperienced quarterback against a team that much like last season, seems to be finding its best form at the right time. Uh, I think the Bengals are pretty much better in every department, maybe aside from a kicker. And I don't think as good as Justin Tucker is that he is going to be the deciding factor in this game. So I'll I'll take the Bengals to win their nine and a half point favorites. I'll, I'll take them to cover that spread as well. Yeah, this is, this is another one that I think sucks that Lamar isn't playing because it is a good rivalry game too. So it's always fun when you get to see rivalry games in the playoffs, like just that little extra meaning towards it. Um, Baltimore beat them in week five, 19 to 17 and, and kind of shut down Joe Burrow. Uh, maybe they can do that again, but the issue is even if they hold in the 17, can the Ravens score 19 points right now? So Tyler, uh, Tyler Huntley, <laughs> uh, Tyler Huntley uh, sat out the last game with a shoulder injury, but I think he'll be back. And it's not very encouraging news that he'll be back. So they've scored four touchdowns in five games with him at quarterback. Ah, That's not what you want. (laughs) So against the Bengals, who are going to put up points, I'll I'll expect them to put up 20. I don't think the Ravens can put up 20 points. So I, I think just on that alone, I think the Bengals will win. And if they... If the Ravens' defense can't keep it close, then this could get out of hand real quick. Yeah. I think 20 is being ambitious for this Ravens team. I think if they can get past about 16, they're they're doing well. Yeah, no, I think it should be pretty straightforward for the Bengals. I guess the nice thing, you know, there's some good games in this wildcard weekend, and you never know. There's surprises happen, so we might get some upsets or some close games that we weren't expecting. The nice thing is even as you look through this, you can the next round does look like it would be just like absolutely stacked in terms of nice matchups, good teams, nice quarterback matchups. Like it's not that you want to skip ahead and not appreciate this first round of the playoffs, but it, at least that's the positive when you're looking at some of these games. Well, three games with pretty heavy favorites, and then things wrap up on Monday night with. The Cowboys, two-and-a-half-point favorites in Tampa Bay. 
possibly Tom Brady's last game, certainly in Tampa Bay. I don't think it will be his last game in the NFL, but I think this is, if they lose, probably the last time we see him playing for the Buccaneers. Yeah. I mean, this is a game on paper that should be a very easy win for the Cowboys. They're 12-5, and five, so a much better record. Uh, when we talk about the DVOA, they're ranked 6th. The Bucks are ranked 17th. So they would see in the superior team, but when you look at their last few games, they the final five games, they beat the Texans, but literally needed a goal line stand to beat the Texans, who are the worst team in the NFL. Lost to the Jags, and then just beat the Eagles with a backup quarterback, just beat the Titans with Dobbs at quarterback, and then got destroyed by the Commanders. So that is not encouraging going into the playoffs. And we've talked last podcast that Dak has looked really bad. 11 interceptions in his past seven games. Uh, not not good. Their offensive line is getting, is getting injured. They're you know not what they used to be. That used to be the strength of their team. And right now going to the playoffs, it is not the strength of their team. The more I think about it, the more I think I'm going to take the Bucks. As much as I said all year that the Bucs are going to be a one-and-done team in the playoffs, the Cowboys are just at an absolute worst right now. I cannot trust them. Uh, I mean, but can you trust the Buccaneers? You've kind of run through the – you've picked the holes there in the in the resume of the Cowboys. But, you know, this, this pickup in the Buccaneers' form and overall them sneaking to their way to an 8-9 and nine record – involved uh, four fourth quarter comebacks. So they were losing, including losing 13 to six going into uh, the fourth quarter against the Rams and then losing 16 to three going into the fourth quarter against the saints. uh, And then 16 to six against the Cardinals in the fourth quarter and then 21 to 10 in the, in the fourth quarter against that crucial in that crucial game against the Panthers now, I guess one thing that you could say, nice to have four fourth quarter comebacks, none of those teams made the playoffs. So, you know, none of the teams that they had those fourth quarter comebacks against were particularly good. And most teams, most good teams would not have found themselves losing to all four of those teams going into the, or at some point in the fourth quarter. Across the first three quarters, Tom Brady threw just 12 touchdowns, which is fewer than Justin Fields. Um, fewer than uh, Davis Mills. So, you know, a couple of the players you would have identified, those are the starting quarterbacks on the two worst teams probably in the NFL. Both of them managed 13 touchdowns in the first three quarters. So this seems like a situation where, yeah, you don't want to be in a close game in the fourth quarter against Tom Brady because as we've spoken about multiple times on the, on the podcast, that seems to be when they ditch their approach to play calling they kind of let tom brady do the things that tom brady does best and they're able to string drives together and kind of pick their way down the field but if the if the cowboys can just give themselves a lead a comfortable lead which is seems manageable 10 points comfortable going, 10 points going into the fourth quarter 10 only 10 yeah Oof. For Tom Brady, that's five minutes left. Get a scoring drive. One well, look, stop on defense. Get the ball back with a minute 30. Touchdown I, game over. 
I said I wanted a 10-point lead going into the fourth, not 10-point lead with five minutes left and the Buccaneers have the ball, because that is a slightly different proposition. But, you know, you hope that you have a 10-point lead and then you can at least just about match what the Buccaneers do from a scoring perspective in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, I just think the, the question mark here a little bit is 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 Dak's play. He's, you know, led the league in interceptions, which given the fact that he missed, um, uh, you know, five games is impressive. It was an interception rate of 3.8%, which seems kind of remarkable to think that you're throwing uh, an interception on basically four out of every 100 pass attempts. Like that sounds just crazy to me. But and one his, in, his career rate is one point seven. Yeah, so, so it's over so double. Over double. Yeah, he, including he's thrown an interception in at least one interception in the last seven games. So you're pretty much guaranteeing if you're the Buccaneers, you're going into this thinking we're going to get one pick. Three of those were returned for touchdown. So you, if you're the Buccaneers defense, you're even thinking maybe we're going to pick six out of this. Which if Tom Brady thinks, you know, like, but I just think. I think the overall, we've seen enough from this Cowboys team that they've shown me enough that I think they can be pretty good to very good. And, you know, I think we spent all season talking about how bad the Buccaneers were. And now that they've snuck their way into the playoffs, all of a sudden I've got to try and convince myself that they're not terrible. Like, what is this spread three weeks ago? Yeah. Cowboys. No, I... I agree with you. I really agree with you. But at the same time, I mean, I've watched the Cowboys these last few weeks, and they're they're dumpster fire. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. They're they're. I mean that that final that week eighteen performance was terrible. I mean, it just didn't look like the. But it kind of just didn't look like any of the players had all that much interest. It got off to a really bad start with the the with the kicker fumbling the punt you know like that's never you don't want that kind of issue on a special teams play that kind of set the wrong tone for the game i don't know i just think part so of they it, played I, in week one and the bucks won 19 to 3 just saying yeah but, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, but uh, yes yeah I, I don't i don't know i don't know i feel like I think, I don't know, to, to try and convince myself. And I was a Bucks optimist all season. Like we've, we're, we're almost switching roles here because I think I spent most of the final 10 or, 10 or so weeks of the season telling you why I thought the Buccaneers would make the playoffs and how once they get there, who knows, like anything could happen. It's Tom Brady. They could figure that, you know, yeah. we've, we kind of saw it when they won the Super Bowl. They weren't that impressive in the regular season and then, Playoffs come around. Defense matters more. There's, it's going to be lower scoring, and if it's a close game, you do want Tom Brady there over Dak Prescott. Like, don't get me wrong. If this is a four point game with the Buccaneers getting the ball back with three minutes left in the fourth quarter, I'm going to trust Tom Brady to make his way down the field, and I hope Tom Brady wins. Like, I, I'm not a big Dak Prescott believer, so I wouldn't. I'd be happy to see him kind of work his way out of the league almost, but certainly to stop having to listen to people tell me why he's so good. But also I'd be pleased to see, uh, you know, Tom Brady pull off another playoff win. I think that would be cool and kind of nice for him in a season in which people have been so critical of him. 
for him to be able to kind of shove that down his throat, their throats by saying, can't have been, I can't be that bad. I want a playoff game. Yeah. I, I mean, the only reason I'd like the Cowboys to win is because I don't want to see Stephen A. Smith do his stupid Cowboys oh. suck rant that he has to do. And you have to see it everywhere on, on TikTok and Instagram th- and Twitter. It's just so annoying. But here's the thing is, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. So you're going to have to see that rant at some point. Because yeah. even if, so say they win this week and then they lose next week, he'll just do it and say, and go on the rant about why the Buccaneers shouldn't have been in the playoffs in the first place. You know, that will almost fuel him more of like the Buccaneers, the win against the Buccaneers doesn't count. So like no matter what, Stephen A. Smith has prepared already probably his rant for this week and his rant for next week. And he's set up so long as the this Cowboys team does, doesn't win two playoff games. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think you have a Cowboys team who turns the ball over against a defense who likes to get turnovers. I mean, they, they thrive on turnovers, that team. And you have Tom Brady, who you just can't count out in playoffs. It's another level. And I wish if I had more time on my hands, I would go back and just like super clip all of your criticisms of Tom Brady over the course of the season and just see this 180 degree turn you have now done as the playoffs start. That was yeah. regular season Tom Brady. This <laughs> is postseason Tom Brady. It's a I different Brady. Have, I probably have like three hours of combined just you ripping into Tom Brady, how he should retire, how he's done, how he's useless, how it's embarrassing, how he's tarnishing his legacy, how it's just the Buccaneers are terrible. And then all of a sudden, you think they're going to win a playoff game. Yep. They got a great draw. For new listeners, I think there's no better way to sum up the predictions that you'll get from Frank than this <laughs> complete heel turn we were just witnessing. It's regular season Brady versus postseason. It's a whole different animal. Okay, well, next time. It's like through- it's like regular game Kirk Cousins versus primetime Kirk Cousins. Well, next time, because there's a good chance we're going to have to go through this again next season, wherever Tom Brady is. It might be a little bit painful during the regular season. All of your criticisms are going to have to be prefaced with, but if he makes the playoffs, it's a totally different animal. Yep. Okay. I mean, you even saw it week 18. He was warming up for the playoffs. He was just crushing deep balls to Mike Evans left and right, <laughs> just warming up for the playoffs. Yeah. No, I look, I, I mean, I think here, Okay, here's the larger question. I think Tom Brady probably has his mindset on coming back either way. But in the ridiculously unlikely scenario that the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, do you think he walks away? I would hope he does. I would hope he does because I th- – yeah. Because I think this is why he's going to keep playing – is because he doesn't want that regular season to be his last regular season. Maybe. I just I think he I think it's more I feel like he's just thinking can I still do it? If I can still do it, I will still still do it. So part of me doesn't even I'm not even certain that he'd walk away if they won the Super Bowl. 
But then it's also the only reason that makes me think he might is I don't think he would stay in Tampa Bay. And, like even if they won, that's not going to suddenly make him think the problems are solved. And so he'd have to leave and just a, maybe a bad look for him to like win a Super Bowl and then go to a third team in his career. Unless he was going back to New England. I think everything else, it starts to get that kind of LeBron James vibe where you then stop almost being associated with any particular team. You know, like if if Tom Brady now goes to, say, the Raiders and plays in Las Vegas for three seasons, yes, for people of our age or older, Tom Brady will always be associated with the New England Patriots. But if you're suddenly, if you're like a 25, 26-year-old, then it starts to be like, well, yeah, I remember five seasons of Brady on the Patriots, but I also remember three seasons of him on the Buccaneers, three seasons of him on the Raiders. So... You know, like he doesn't, I don't clearly associate him with any particular team. You think he can play another three years? I think he, I think part of him, I'm sure that part of him is thinking 50. Can I make it to 50? I'm sure. Now, I don't think he can. He's like the NFL equivalent of Tom Cruise. (laughs) Yeah, a little (laughs) bit. Yeah. They got a lot in common, actually. But, but the, yeah, I don't think. And if it came out that Tom Brady was a Scientologist, it would explain a lot. I, I mean, I what's worse, Scientology or the TB12 method? <laughs> well, as far as I know, the TB12 method hasn't like ruined people's lives and hunted them down. And kind of... But it's just as irrational and not based off of real science. That's <laughs> true. But yeah. It's going to be awkward when we get him on as a future guest now. <laughs> I'm going to have to hope he doesn't listen to that clip. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, yeah, I think part of him is probably thinking 50. I don't think he'll get there, but I bet you in an ideal scenario, if you could let him pick, I think he gets to 50. Now, interestingly, just looking at the, the Super Bowl odds, Tampa Bay are eighth favorites at 25 to 1. I can see why the Dolphins, the Seahawks, and the Ravens all have bigger odds just because you're talking about three massive underdogs going into this week, so very little chance of them next seeing the next round. The Giants are 50 to 1, so double the wow. odds of the Buccaneers. That doesn't seem tremendously fair. The Vikings are 30 to 1. So still significantly bigger than Tampa Bay. Even think- though even though I picked the Vikings to lose and the Bucks to win, I think the Vikings have a better shot to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I yeah. No, but I think that's yeah, I think that's and then you have the Cowboys, you know, conversely, you've got Tampa Bay going in as two and a half point underdogs well at home to the Cowboys, and then the Cowboys 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, so under half the odds of the Buccaneers. Kind of, I understand why. I think the Cowboys have a significantly better chance of winning the Super Bowl, but it's sort of weird to me to be like, oh, they're two and a half point favorites. This is going to be a close one. But Cowboys, much, much better chance of winning the Super Bowl. I will say, if the picks for the most part were, I think we're pretty much in line for the most, except for the Giants, obviously, because I'm going to pick the Giants in this last game. But we both picked the Chargers, and that would mean the Chargers play the Chiefs. That, for me, 
is like oh, a game God. I can't almost not even I can not watch it. Sophie's I'm gonna be choice. like Joey Bosa's mother when she has the half jersey of of Joey Bosa and the half jersey of Nick Bosa. I'm gonna have to do a Herbert Mahomes half jersey. <laughs> you have a naked photo of each one of them. <laughs> not their birthday suits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of just looking at those Super Bowl odds, so you got the Vikings at thirty to one. You got the Giants at fifty to one. Maybe not the dumbest thing to just like put a little bit of money on each of those teams, knowing at that point you're guaranteed to have one team at 30 to one or more in the next <laughs> round of the playoffs, you know, like three wins away from the Super Bowl. Cause like who, once you make that next round, every team it's going to be 15 to one or shorter. So you've kind of instantly grabbed a little bit of value there, knowing G- that you're give us the wrong. odds. Complete. Straight through. Yeah. So Chiefs seven to two favorites. Bills fifteen to four second favorites. I find that always interesting when you've got the two teams Both obviously in the same in the division same conference. Yeah. Conference. Then Eagles at five to one. Niners at eleven to two. Bengals at seven to one. Cowboys at twelve to one. Chargers at twenty to one. Buccaneers at 25 to 1. Vikings at 30 to 1. Ravens at 45 to 1. This is kind of a crazy. I don't know how they have worse odds than the Ravens. Jags at 50 to 1. (laughs) Giants at 50 to 1. Seahawks at 80 to 1. Dolphins at 125 to 1. Now, I guess with the Ravens, maybe the thought is if Lamar comes back. Like if they if they somehow win this game and then Lamar is back, you don't want to have want to have them priced at a hundred to one, and they're maybe then the yeah like fifth fifth best team or something. But then you could make the same argument with the Dolphins at a hundred and twenty five to one. There's a possibility that Tua plays again, and if they somehow won this week, a hundred and twenty five to one is also huge. So I don't really get some of those odds confuse me a little. Like definitely the Ravens, the Jags and the Giants being a bigger price than the Ravens confuses me. I mean, when you think about it, the Bucks odds aren't terrible because I think the NFC is a little weaker. And if you can get, uh, I guess you're going to have to go past both the Niners and the Eagles, right? You'd have to play them both. Yeah, and I think if the Bucks if you, won. If you pick, if, like, I'm not just saying this because as a part, if you had to design a team to just be almost impossible for Tom Brady to beat, beat, it would be the Niners, as we saw in Brock Purdy's first career start. But I mean, just like that is a mismatch in terms of the pressure that they get on him, the way that his offensive live line cannot protect him. So. Unless things really went, the Buccaneers would not only need to win, they would need other teams to upset some teams to make it more possible for them to make their way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like the Chargers just because at that price, because it's just, it's a gauntlet in the AFC. <laughs> Bengals, Bengals, Bills, and Chiefs. That is a tough three you have to go through. Well, I think the argument with the Chargers would be you're better off betting them game by game because you're getting. Money line, what is it like eight to eleven or something like that for 
the game this weekend. So let's say you're getting 70, you know, 170% your money. They are then going to be underdogs the rest of the way. They'll probably be like think. four or five point underdogs against the Chiefs. And then they would be underdogs probably against either the Bengals or the Bills. And then I would think if it's the Niners or the Eagles, they're underdogs in the Super Bowl. So you're more than doubling your money in each round, which means the 20 to 1 isn't worth it. Yeah. They do play the Chiefs well, though. They've lost, I think they lost by three both times this year against the Chiefs. Yeah, but they've yet to play them in a situation where it really mattered. You know what I mean? Like this is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) This is, this is when. Exactly. You know, this is when, this is when you're not going to get. Andy Reid thinking about which cheeseburger he's ordering after the game. This is Andy Reid focused. This is Patrick Mahomes focused. This is a this is a different uh, prospect. So a kind of uh, uneventful week of sports in the in European football. It's been domestic cups midweek in most leagues. I guess the talking point in England being. Manchester City, who have dominated the League Cup in recent seasons, were knocked out by Southampton, which isn't of great significance, but it means that their hope of a quadruple, so winning the four major domestic, well, the three major domestic titles plus the Champions League. So obviously United in 99 famously won the the treble or like the main treble. Sometimes teams claim to have the treble when they've had like the Community Shield and the League and the FA Cup, but that's not a real treble. But the tr- big treble being the FA Cup, the League, and the Champions League. I think it's definitely a goal of cities to take that away from United of having that sort of season stand out as being uniquely successful. The quadruple would have usurped it and falling at a hurdle that most wouldn't have expected them to. I guess if you're trying to look at a positive, it means... They have fewer games to play over the coming weeks in a very busy period. And so regardless of how deep their squad is, that might help them in the league a little bit that they don't have games that they probably don't care about too much. Having won the League Cup multiple times in recent seasons, this would have been the one competition they would have said, we can we can lose that one. How much more coveted is the FA Cup versus the League Cup? Oh, it's... Night and day. Not even close, right? Yeah, no. No. I mean, you know, Blackburn won the League Cup in 2001. It was a cool experience and nice, but, like, you're not – it's the, it's very much the second cup competition. You're not sort of – you're winning the FA Cup is, you know, still – it's not as significant as it used to be because I think there would have been moments – there may have been even been moments where people would have said they would have rather won the FA Cup than win the league to a certain extent like that was the because you got the big day at Wembley it was a telephone you know back in the day when not many games were televised the FA Cup final was so it was sort of the one time when all of the you know like being in the Super Bowl almost like everybody's watching you I think nowadays definitely it's the third you know no one's going to choose to win the FA Cup over the league no one's going to choose to win the FA Cup over the Champions League probably not even over the Europa League but yeah it's the League Cup I mean, I doubt the city players, like if you ask them to list their achievements, they're probably not even mentioning the League Cup victories. So if you've not won anything, it's cool. Like for South, if Southampton were to go on and win it this season, that's massive for them. 
And, but if you're a team winning bigger competitions, it's, it's just a kind of nice thing to get, but it's not, not anything meaningful. And then, uh, I guess looking ahead to this weekend a bit, two big matches. We've, we've spoken about it before, but this Saturday, you know, kind of in a sense fitting in really nicely with the weekend of NFL playoffs. You could, for you, on the, you know, anyone yeah. on the. What a great Saturday I have in store for me. Yeah, waking up at what, five in the morning to potentially to watch. But on, on Saturday, the lunchtime kickoff in the UK is. Manchester United against Manchester City. So you have a, you know, the Manchester Derby come with the added sort of element of City in a tight title race. United may be the informed team in the league trying to cement their place in the top four, but also maybe even they probably still have some thoughts that if things went strangely, they might even get themselves involved in the title race if they could win this and then win a few more. And then on Sunday, you have the North London Derby. So right before the kick before the NFL playoffs resume, you've got Arsenal at Spurs. So interesting slate of games. And if either team in City or Arsenal were to win and the other one to lose, that's a pretty big swing. Big swing. Big swing. How do you think that pendulum swings, Eddie? <laughs> I think if you're a United supporter, City losing midweek was bad news. <laughs> I think, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of the big team coming off a defeat theory yep. in, in any sport. It's always one of those things. The Bills lose, I'm on the Bills next week. The Chiefs lose. And so whilst that was the City kind of B team that lost to Southampton, although they brought on most of their big players over the course of that match. I think you'll now have, you know, from Guardiola's perspective, that's an opportunity to just lay into the team to reinforce the fact, hey, you might all be thinking you're good. You're not as good as you think you are. Look, we lost to Southampton. We can't take anything easy in this. This is, you know, like his team talk gets made for him. Uh, they refocus. I think, I think City win. And then... The North London Derby, it's hard to call. Arsenal are the better team. Spurs are in, inconsistent. They were kind of impressive uh, last time out in the league. I'll say that's maybe going to be a draw. I think I'm going to go both to win. Just keeping pace with each other. That's a nice double. That's uh, four to five City to win, six to five Arsenal to win. So if you do think the teams at the top just keep keep going that's a nice little double throw in the three heavy favorites in the nfl playoffs you know you throw the niners the bills and the Bengals in that's that's a tasty little fivefold that's going to give you a pretty decent return i mean we say united is in form and i mean yes they've won what their last like seven or eight matches but has it been great competition um no what's, i mean i don't think they've what's the last good team they've beaten um, uh, no one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're not, they've not exactly run the gauntlet, but they, but consistency is consistency, right? Yeah, no, it is. But I think this is, I mean, this, we see this in the NFL, right? When teams go on like a, 
oh, they're five and one to start the season. This is their year. And then they hit a tough part of their schedule. And next thing you know, they're five and eight. Um, oh, no, for sure. I, hey, look, I, I, you know, it was one of the things I wanted to bring up to a certain extent. We've, you've made, I think I made the prediction. I made the prediction at the beginning of the season. I thought the Bears were going to be the worst team in the NFL. Then I had to apologize to them after a couple of weeks because they were pretty good. And they ended up with the worst record in the NFL. So, yeah, you're right. Like, you can have a favorable set of match. I mean, thinking about that, what a weird the fact that the Bears beat the Niners, you know, like that's such a weird result when you get to the end of the season and think, how did that happen? But uh, I guess Brock Purdyless Niners. That's the that's the asterisk that has to be added. But, you know, you're you're right. I mean, you look through their their recent league wins: it's Everton, Bournemouth, Wolves, Forest, Fulham, Villa. Oh, Fulham, the, the Chelsea Slayers? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. Yeah, exactly. Chelsea Chelsea lost to Fulham today. You know, City drew with Everton. Oh, that's a, that was actually an FA Cup match where United beat Everton, so messed that one up a little bit, but yeah. But no, yeah, it's they've not beaten great teams. Most of the teams they've beaten are in the bottom half of the table, so you're right. I, I just think, to me, this is almost a little bit like the Cowboys Buccaneers game where you kind of talk yourself into why United have a really good chance as they're doing with the Buccaneers. Not that not that United are as bad as the Buccaneers are, or that the Cowboys are as good as the city are, but it's the same kind of thing. You kind of look through and go like, well, United are in form. Marcus Rashford is playing really well again. They have been keeping a lot of clean sheets. You know, like you kind of start talking your way through, like maybe Ronaldo was a really big problem. And then, all Maybe. of a sudden, it's gonna it's gonna be halftime, and it's like City three, United nil. It's like, oh no! It turns out City are just way better, just like they were in October. All right, anything else to discuss? I I mean, we haven't been talking much food lately, and you know we've we've discussed on previous podcasts a lot of sweet treats, and you'll be happy to know, Eddie, that the Girl Scout cookies are out for sale this week. <laughs> Yeah, not, yeah, not my thing. Not your thing. Well, there is a new one they released this year. It's called the Raspberry Rally. So it's oh, the sister to the Thin Mint, except instead of mint, it's a raspberry filling and then coated with chocolate like the Thin Mint. I'm not into fillings. You know, like you you, you make fun of me for being a, a simple donut man. You're a biscuit guy. I don't want I don't want jam in the middle of my donuts. I don't want jam in the middle of my biscuits or my cookies. I want you know I'm I'm uh, plain Jane over here when it comes to the the sweeter treats. It's a shame because my next question would be how many boxes of Girl Scout cookies do you think you can eat in one sitting? <laughs> no zero. I really don't like. It. I don't think I like any of. I, I won't go. As you far don't as like the, don't, the peanut butter one. I'm not a huge peanut butter fan. Jesus Christ. Who doesn't like tagalongs? What kind of monster are you? <laughs> I am sure that you could find because I know there's at this point in time a pretty wide variety of Girl Scout cookies. So I'm sure that you could find one that. But also, just in general, that type of thing, like cookies, it's not just like not a huge thing for me. So even if you found one that I like, it'd be like I'd they have, have a one plain that- shortbread one. That's probably the only one that might interest you. Okay, like a shortbread biscuit, I'll, I'll have a cup of tea and, and have 
eat a short red biscuit, but I'm not going to eat a box wow. of them. What, what an exciting fucking afternoon, Eddie. A shortbread <laughs> cookie and a cup of tea. Don't get too wild on me. I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat a whole box of them. Like that's, you know, you have one, maybe two and, and you're done. Like that's, I'm not going to devour them. So yeah. I mean, do they even sell, do the Girl Scouts just sell a chocolate chip cookie? That's a great question. I don't think so. Cause, cause that would be the most likely thing. Like either a chocolate chip cookie. I like a sugar cookie. I haven't had one of those in probably 10 years. So they have a caramel chocolate chip. That's the closest they have. I'm not a huge caramel fan, so <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to bite on that one either. Yeah, no, it's not my... I think I've only had a Girl Scout cookie two or three times in my life. I don't remember ever as a kid... I don't remember ever seeing anyone sell Girl Scout cookies. Certainly my family never bought any. I don't, I mean, I never had a friend who was in Girl Scouts, for example. Oh, were you in Boy Scouts? No. Oh, then maybe that's why. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think they were like mutually, like it was a requirement, but no, I didn't. No, I certainly wasn't in the Boy Scouts, and I don't. I don't remember even having a friend who was in the Boy Scouts. Like, I don't remember. They probably had a friend who was. I had one friend at one point who was in the Boy Scouts when I was a teenager. Like it was to that point where, like, Eagle Scout. Age, yeah, no, but I think he was like a. Still, like, did they do everything together? Because <laughs> he was like not in charge, but you know, like turning up to like help them and stuff when he was like 14, 15, it just felt, and at that age, you just like start to look like such a dork in the uniform. Like the cuteness of the early years, if you wanted to say that, by the time you're 14, you're just like, you're just look like a loser. Are sure is that what you want to say, Eddie? The cuteness of little boys in Boy Scout uniforms? Is that you're sure that's what you want to say? I meant that in a, in a nice way, not in a predatory fashion. <laughs> That's what they all say. (laughs) Don't want to suddenly be on an episode of uh, To Catch a Predator here. (laughs) We have several friends of the podcast who are Eagle Scouts. Oh, I can think of one for sure. But yeah, now it's just never. And maybe, you know, I I was in Salt Lake City. I don't remember that being a big thing. It might have just been a, like, in that sense, it might have just been a regional aspect that in Salt Lake and and part of that I know that the scouts aren't a religious organization but maybe because of the Mormon element maybe it's like just not as popular there. Oh, what else what else do you want to get caught on record saying? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've 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 managed to attack some real institutions here, college football. Girl and Boy Scouts. Yeah, no, it's um, yeah. So actually, Eddie, the Mormons highly encourage boys to be in the Boy Scouts. Twenty percent of Boy Scout members are Mormon. Twenty percent, high percentage. Yeah, that's, that's almost unbelievable. In the U.S., this is. Yes. Okay. That's unbelievable. 
So I must have known some scouts. <laughs> I take it all back. Everything I've just said was complete nonsense because I must have known some scouts if, if the, unless it has changed in the last 20 years, which is possible because while I was in Salt Lake City, Mormon Church went from being anti-caffeine to being okay with caffeine. Because the so they're no them. longer linked. This was in 2018, the partnership like ended. So this was pre-2018, which would have been when you were there. <laughs> so, but, Oh, so there was a relationship between the Mormon church and the scouts that has been terminated. There was like a tie, yeah. Okay. Like a partnership. Well, maybe, certainly it's my final topic though. That's just a brief one. Uh, I know you're a big fan of this movie. At least I believe that you're a big fan of this movie. It has, a, it has a couple of actors in it who you are certainly typically enjoy their work. Catch me if you can. Oh, love it. So I, in my little bit of YouTube rabbit holing, managed to uh, stumble across a video just debunking most of the claims in Catch Me If You Can. Just turns out... Complete nonsense. Everything he says he did in that movie, absolutely did not do. Like what? What do you mean? The pilot aspect, the doctor aspect, the lawyer aspect, the fact that he was only arrested in France. He was arrested multiple times over the course of his life, including he was in prison from the age of like 18 to 21, uh, which is a period in the movie where he does a lot of the stuff. The fact that he claims that he's... um, sort of defrauded uh, Pan Am for around $2 million. It turns out it was less than $1,500. Uh, basically, pretty much, he didn't he didn't do anything of note. He was like a petty criminal who did nothing particularly interesting. Uh, and the, the fact that the FBI were pursuing him never was the case. Uh, no the Tom claim, Hanks. No Tom Hanks in real life. In real life, it would have just been a beat cop arresting him multiple times. <laughs> while he, while he was trying to... Who plays the beat to... cop? Like Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, and I mean, in, in the movie, he would... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio would just be like a background character. of Like, oh God, that guy got arrested again. Like, we better... But yeah, it's pretty... Basically... Now, is there any truth to the debunking? Yeah, so this is supposedly it was debunked almost immediately. Like as soon as he started, came to prominence on a local level, people were like, "This is absolutely untrue." And he well, he wrote a book, right? Right. Yeah, but he even prior to that, he kind of made an appearance on like the Tonight Show and stuff, and he sort of rose to some level of fame. And basically, immediately, people were like, "This isn't true." Like from the very start. See, but this is interesting. So he's a con man, and he conned people by thinking he's a good con man. Yeah, this is this is now his that's only. That's the movie. <laughs> this is yeah. Catch me if you can too. Like it, as it turns out, his only successful con is catch me if you can. That's crazy. That's meta. The, as stuff as for you yeah, kids would say. It is, it is extremely <laughs> meta. Like for example, the fact that he was a consultant for the FBI never happened. That, that that's whole, awesome. That whole but, element. But once he conned them and catch me if you can, then he became a consultant. <laughs> so he is a, in real life, he is a consultant. Like he does go to Google, he does some cybersecurity stuff and all sorts of things. But that's only on the base. It's like on the back of him having made up these claims and kind of risen to prom- prominence and people thinking he was this super successful con man that he never was. So that is the I con. like this story even more. Yeah. 
But other things, he claims to have escaped from a prison. Records clearly show that he was never even in that prison. Like one of his claims to fame was like he was the only person to escape from some like Georgia State Penitentiary or whatever was never even in the prison. So could not possibly have escaped from it. Or maybe that's what the prison wants you to think. So this is his defense. His defense is these people they are were all so too embarrassed. Em- yeah, they're too embarrassed to admit that they were conned, that everyone denies that they were conned. Burned his but records. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty universal. And stuff like police records and stuff, that that seems a bit too far. It's one thing to say that maybe like Pan Am wanted to protect themselves, but it seems unlikely that uh, like the penit- you know, like the local and state and federal police and kind of law enforcement would be denying things in an attempt to protect themselves. But yeah, it's, uh, it's both, I agree with you. It both makes the story more fascinating, but it also, I find it amazing because I like previously have watched one of his Google talks, you know, those things people do when they go and they speak at like a Google office and talk about it. And for him to be getting to appear there and for it to all just be completely made up. Especially in Google, because all you would have to do is Google him <laughs> and you hear the true, true. story. <laughs> oh yeah, it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of research. Like if you search for this, anyone listening, if you search for this, you'll find you'll probably find the thing I saw on YouTube, but you'll certainly find plenty of articles. Cause I then checked. I watched this thing and I was like, well, let me not just believe the first YouTube like mini documentary thing I've ever watched about this, that this suddenly sways me away from the original source. And I did do read a couple of articles and stuff. And it's like, yeah, from the very beginning, most people involved thought this was complete and utter nonsense. Like, and you know, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, because most of those things he claimed to have done are completely improbable. So now it's just a fictional movie. Yeah, exactly. Not even you can't even be critical of the movie for embellishing anything because the entire concept is embellished. So it now I cannot be critical of Catch Me If You Can for being a based on a true story that is unrealistic. It's now just a complete work of fiction and I can enjoy it for what it is. They should change the beginning to based on a fake story. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would be some good editing. Yeah. But no, that's it for me. That was my YouTube rabbit hole for the week. Maybe a little bit more uplifting than some of the rabbit holes I occasionally get myself into. Yeah, I'd say so. Speaking of some of the bad rabbit holes you go through, someone must be monitoring your YouTube because I don't know if you saw, there's a new movie called out coming out called Plane. <laughs> and it's just about like a plane that's going to crash, basically. <laughs> I don't think we discussed this on the podcast. This is an off podcast. I know, discussion. but we'll just we'll, we'll just leave the viewers to to figure out what you're what yeah. you've been YouTubing. But it's like one of the taglines is like, "There's almost nowhere safer to be than up in the air," or something like that. And then and then like the wing falls off. Yeah, it looks really bad. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Hey, my YouTube rabbit holes could inspire some good movies. I would say. But uh, it could also inspire some really bad ones. It does star Gerard Butler, though. I wouldn't say he has a great track record of being in good movies. I feel like, 
I'm probably overlooking something. I feel like his reputation entirely hinges on how much you enjoyed the movie 300. And since then, break down some movies. You can go for it. I know he was in what was the one where you like intent, like was in prison and then sneaking out to blow things up. Uh, uh, it's with uh, Jamie Fox, law abiding, law abiding citizen. Yeah, that's okay. But we're we're getting to like okay being. He's done all of the fallen ones. What is it like? Olympus has fallen. London has fallen, and I forget the other one. Uh, Angel has fallen. Yeah, they, they, those Angel, aren't good. Yeah. No. He's in Den of Thieves, which uh, a lot of people love. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to okay. see it. That's supposed to yeah. be a good one. It's okay. He, he, I mean, in general, he's in a lot of movies. He is, banging yeah, he, is. Out, he is banging out movies. He's in like two or three a year. I mean, 2007, though. What a year. 300 and P.S. I Love You. Two classics. <laughs> Yeah. No, I don't. I think looking at this, I mean, he's a voice in How to Train Your Dragon. That might be his best work since 300. Is it a movie called Dear Frankie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's in absolutely nothing good. He did like those romantic comedies too once he got popular from 300, like The Bounty Hunter. uh, And then I think, uh, what's the other one? Ugly Truth. That's the other one. He just, <laughs> he just strikes me as, not that this is really a concept anymore, although I guess you go straight to streaming, but he just comes across to me like Jared Butler being in a movie, tell like screams to me straight to DVD. Like, <laughs> you know, like that's the quality of yeah. movie you're about to enjoy. Like it will be okay. Like if you're having a pizza on a Friday night and you put on his movie, it will be fine. Like we'll have some unintentionally amusing moments and There'll probably be some action scenes or whatever. Like, it's not going to be the worst movie you've ever seen, but it's definitely not going to be good. He also really struggles with accents. He's the anti-Tom Hardy in that respect. His accent is just (laughs) like, I think even if he was doing a Scottish accent, it wouldn't be good anymore. So he's just sort of everything he does is weird. When he's doing his American accent, it just always sounds strange at certain moments in time. Not a good thing for an actor. Speaking of, I guess we can close with this. Did you see the Golden Globes? I or like not. who won? Uh, I saw so some the Golden Globes were yesterday. Winners, yeah. Austin Butler won for Elvis as the actor for Elvis. Yeah. He still talks like Elvis. Yeah, no, he's been doing that for a while. He basically says that it kind of has embodied him now. It's yeah. weird. But he says he doesn't notice it. Yeah. <laughs> He says he doesn't think he does, but if he does, then it's just in his DNA now, which is just really weird because it's so like when he talks, his acceptance speech is so weird with the accent. It's so strange. He also makes one other fair point, though, which is that a lot of times when people are doing like the before and after videos of how he sounded, they're cutting back to like videos of him when he was a sort of Disney star and he's like 16 years old. So there is an element of, well, his voice will have just changed because he's older and then you throw in i mean i guess i don't know how long they filmed that for however many months that was you know people move to a country and their voices change so he said he trained for like two years yeah and look if you went and lived in ireland for two years your voice would you know your accent would probably sound a little bit different after that so it makes sense 
but it is, it's a little weird and it's a shame that it's Elvis because if it were some other fictional character or something, it wouldn't be like Winston Churchill. No, but a fictional character, <laughs> but, but like, but Elvis isn't fictional either. <laughs> no, I know. But my point being the fact that it's a real person makes it seem like you kind of want to be them in a, oh, okay, in a way, in a way that seems kind of sadder, like, and in particular, because Elvis is cool, it comes across as like more of a loser move of like, oh, you're trying to like have the sex appeal and the coolness of Elvis and you're doing it in your voice and your mannerism and your sort of cadence. And if it were a fictional character, then maybe you wouldn't feel that way as strongly. You're just like, okay, his voice is, he's taken on some elements of that character he played, but he made up that voice in the first place. He wasn't trying to copy someone. I guess the only win of note for us is uh, Game of Thrones won best television drama series. Yeah, complete nonsense. <laughs> I just don't know what they were watching. I don't know what they were watching. They must have just been too confused by the multiple character switches to really understand what was going on. Yeah, I mean, the only good one it beat out would have been Severance. Uh, Better Call Saul, that was pretty good. I think both of those were better. I think Severance and other, should have. It was Ozark and The Crown were the other ones. Honestly, as much as we criticized Ozark, I think Ozark was better than Game of Thrones. I don't think so. The Crown I don't watch, so I can't really comment. But I The Crown always wins. I think, the, I think Severance should have won, and I think it should have won in part. It should have been rewarded for the being original. Yeah. like I think sometimes you have to try and incentivize and I, it kind of goes against some of my ideas in the sense that the best thing should win kind of going back to the college football element but i do think in tv and movie production you should be trying to encourage people to not just make sequels and prequels and never-ending versions of the same story and so something like severance coming out which is totally original very unique in conceptually i think you should be trying to reward that in the hope that that then makes people think, oh, we can come up with something new and actually win awards for it. All right. Well, I guess with that, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Hopefully uh, this time next week, we're not talking about a Brock Purdy implosion. That's my big or fear. Daniel Jones victory. <laughs> I don't care about that. Anything can happen in that. I just want a good game. Uh, to me, it puts a lot of pressure on the Vikings Giants game and the Cowboys Bucks game to be and the Chargers Jags games to be close because I'm expecting the other three to be pretty one sided. So if 50% of the playoff games aren't, you know, like one score games and maybe a little bit, and I don't want it to be like one score where, well, the Cowboys were winning by 14 points the whole game, but the Buccaneers got a touchdown with 12 seconds left and attempted an onside kick and. Yeah, like I want an actual lead changes and stuff. And if that doesn't happen, it will be disappointing. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, talk to you later. See you.